connection with Pine Rivers. I have a real battle when I come to Queensland because my daughter goes to Brizzy West. So there's always this tearing um, in my heart of where I go. So we're doing you this week and them next week. <laughs> so I'm a farmer and that's my office desk. And uh, so I get to sit in tractors, vehicles driving around the farm. That was a picture of some of our crops. And at this point of time at Over Home, it looks absolutely beautiful. The countryside is carpets of yellow, as you can see in the background there. Um, and so it's just glorious. And at the moment, it's, it is the land of milk and honey. I actually drove along the edge of one of my canola... The yellow is canola crops, if you don't know what it is. I drove along one of the edges of a canola crop, and as I come back, I looked at the front of that ute that um, Kurt wanted to pinch. Um, and there was actually honey running down the um, bull bar that, from flicking out of the flowers in the crop. So and usually when there's a lot of honey in the crop, it means there's a possibility that it will be a really good crop. So we'll praise for that. So if we can have the next slide, please. And uh, Kurt also, you know, I was going to pull it on him, but he beat me to it. He said, you know, he comes over home and he, said, he tells you like he's looking after the flock. <laughs> You didn't know what flock he was looking after. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this year we had, were, were blessed with many, many lambs. We had, uh, had 11 orphans that we uh, hand-reared as well. <clears throat> they lived in our backyard. We haven't got any garden in the backyard at the moment because they ate it all. Uh, <laughs> but we were able to save their lives, and, and Kurt actually helped us do that. Um, I look a little bit more like a wild farmer there, um, before I trim my beard and uh, things, it gets a little bit out of hand when I'm farming flat out. I just sort of don't get, get near the barber shop or anything. So, uh, <laughs> well, I, apparently I've been told now that I'm getting, I'm, I'm really hip. You know, I've had a beard for um, uh, 37 years, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm real hip now. So, because you know, it's a real in thing. So, <laughs> so you know, if you hang on to something long enough, you can't, it, it comes around. And we can have the next photo as well. That's another one of my office window. Out of my office window, just to uh, give a little bit of a, a background of who I am. And uh, what, you know, and, and one of the things that, you know, God just reminded me to tell you that a farmer is one of the most faithful people there is. Because we rely wholly solely on the rain. We, most farmers have a kink in their neck because they're always looking at the clouds. We get to read the clouds, we read the weather, we feel it in our bones, you know, when the seasons are changing. Um, it was interesting, two days ago, I went last week before I left home, there was a shift in the weather and we said spring has come. Winter has gone, spring has come. It's just like this switch and you know the difference. So we rely on the, on the, you know, we are faithful people. We, a lot of farmers don't realise that. They don't realise that their livelihood comes from God. God is our life. And one thing I want to share, that it's actually your life as well, because we produce your food. And I just want to just remind people that live in the cities that if it doesn't rain, you don't eat. Um, one of the things in Australia, you're, you're lucky in Australia because we produce far, far more food than what Australia needs. So we feed 
I think they, somebody worked it out that Australia feeds about 35 or 40 million people. But there's only 25 in Australia. So it's probably more than that, actually. I'm, I just forget, but that was one figure that I had heard. In other countries around the world, when it doesn't rain, the people starve. So you are blessed. So just remember that when you pray and, you know, when you go out next time there's a, it's raining and you think, oh, this rain, you know, just remember that it's actually growing your food. It's putting food on your table. And if you pray for rain for, pe- for the farmers, pray for rain in season. You know, I've heard of people, we've been in Perth at a church and they're, oh, Lord, let it rain, let it rain. And we said, no, don't let it rain, don't let it rain because we're in the middle of harvest. <laughs> So we need the rain in seasons. And it brings me to the next part. There's another photo there, if I can have that, please. Now, for those who don't know, that is grain of wheat. Now, the grain of wheat is a miracle in itself. God gave us a grain of wheat. Now, in John 12, 24... Jesus said, this is Jesus' words, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the, and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who lives his life and loses it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me where, where I am, my servants also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me, just as Jesus has to die to himself, so do we. Now this little grain, he's got to die. You know, you look at that grain and it's hard and it's dead. But that grain holds the, the genioniums for the next generation. It holds the life. Even though it's dead, it holds life for eternity. I've got, in actual fact, that breed of wheat that that pictures of was bred around 100 years ago. We've been using it. We use it for hay. We've been using that grain. It's been used in agriculture for 100 years, and it's still true to its breed. It hasn't changed you know, and this is how, you know, the miraculous thing that God did when he set things in place, he sets them for eternity. You know, man has worked a way of, of helping, you know, breeding those grain and changing it by, um, by using the, you know, breeding the, um, and I won't go fully into that because I don't know exactly how they do it. My daughter might know. She's a little bit smarter in that than me. But once it's been bred and once it's been set, it is set and it does not change. And I can plant that with other grains, other forms of wheat, and it will still be true to who it is. But there's also other little miracles that happen in the grain that God set in place. That it dies and it stores, and I don't want to make this sound like it's uh, an agronomy lesson here, but I I look at a grain of wheat and see the wonders of what God has done. And as it dies, it changes the sugar into carbohydrate. And carbohydrate is a stable way of, form, of storing things. And then as it starts to shoot again, as it softens and goes into the ground, it shoots and it changes that carbohydrate back into sugar because it's sugar is what it uses to grow. 
That's what it lives on. And if God does that for a grain, how much more is he going to do it for us? He wants to do it for us. God set in place, you know, and, and I look at that and I look at that little wonder, just that one little wonder, and, th- and people say this happened by accident. Come on, let's really look at who God is. God even set this little seed, a purpose in life. And that little seed does many things. You know, your loaf of bread that you eat each day comes from that little seed. We are fed. That is our food. And when I put a little, I put that grain in, I put a ton into the ground and I expect 100 from a ton of wheat. Yeah, probably expect 100 to 150 ton of wheat back again. And that's the miracle that God is saying to us. He says, you know, we are to die to ourselves so he can reproduce the kingdom of God. And I also want to share a part of this is I want to share some visions and some things that God gave me over the years. And uh, I um, (coughs) grew up in a Christian family, made a first commitment when I was a little tacker. I don't know how old I was. Recommitted my life when I was 12, recommitted my life when I was 15 or something. And, but I, I've always been around a Christian family. I'd, I've never experienced sort of that other side of the world. But then it came that God protected me. You know, there was this mantle on my life, even as a child. I was a chronic asthmatic as a child. But my brother always thought that I wasn't going to make it. But I never had, in, that never crossed my mind. You know, I had this purpose in life that God wanted me to be, um, to go forward. As a teenager, I tried to mark up like most teenagers, but God protected me from myself. I'd actually arranged to get up to some mischief one day. And it wasn't very good mischief either that I was going to get up to. And as I was coming into church, we, this kids used to, you know, kids go out for, it was Sunday school in those days, but we'd sort of grown out past Sunday school, but so we'd still nick off out and we'd go around town and do all sorts of things that we shouldn't do while the parents were in church. And I was going to get up to some mischief that would have actually screwed up the rest of my life. And uh, I was standing at the front of church this day and this old bloke came up to me and she says, well, young man, it's time you stayed in church. And... When it was time to go out, I'm sitting there and I was ready to go out and this little girl was trying to give me the hint, come on, you better come out, you know, we've arranged to go and do something. And I was glued to the seat. I couldn't move a muscle. And I look back on that situation and if I'd stepped out of that church that day, I don't know where I would be today. I don't know where I would be today. But the Lord protected me from myself, and I'm grateful for that. You know, I, I said, Lord, why don't you do it for more people? And I don't know why he doesn't, but he did it for me. And I can go through my life, and, you know, there's many times when he's protected me. Um, and as I've walked forward, God has been there with me and guiding me. Now I'm starting to get to the older end of life, And I'm thinking, Lord, why did you, you know, 
what else is there for me to do? You know, what else is there? You protected me back then for something special. And I'm still looking for that something special. But then other people say, well, you know, you've, you've done this, you've done that, you've helped me, you've been here. And I thought, well, you know, have I done a lot of that something special? And I'm actually going away from my notes that I had down now because Lord's just reminded me of a few other things that he wants me to share with you. And then in 1989, we were driving into church one Sunday morning. Both Wendy and myself looked at each other. Spontaneously, we, we said to each other, and this, is, this was weird. We both spoke exactly the same words at exactly the same time. And we both looked at each other and said, what are we doing? For the next five k's into town, we live 21 k's out of town. Next five k's in town, we analysed why we were going to church. And really at the end of the day, we weren't getting anything out of church. the church we were in at that point of time when the two things we decided, we were doing it to honour our parents and, and because we were committed. We got to church and this got, the pastor got up and said, there's this conference I encourage people to go to. It's called Power, Ev- Power Evangelism. And it was John Wimber. And both of us just went, <coughs> we need to go to this thing. So all of a sudden we're on this coaster, the roller coaster ride. And next thing we know, we're off to Perth to this conference. Halfway to Perth, we sat again, looked at each other, spontaneously said, what are we actually going to? We just need, knew we had to be there. And as we looked at the pamphlet, we thought, oh, no, there's nothing much in here that's you know, out of the ordinary. Yeah, right. And the Lord at that stage had blinded our eyes to what we were actually going to. We got to the conference, and I'm not going to go spend too much time on this. Um, we, the Lord just met us at that place. And... Uh, I had an encounter with God that was something that I wished every person I know had this encounter. Now, I'm going to pray for this for people later on, but I'm just going to share with you what the encounter was. I'd become quite bitter towards my father. Even though he's a lovely Christian guy, we were working together on the farm and things weren't really going real good. And... uh, I used to get this big knot in my shoulder, under my right shoulder blade to the point that I was actually losing the power in my right arm. And it came out, it was caused through this bitterness that I held towards my father. And we were doing practising on praying for the sick and uh, a young guy got up the front and so, you know, we were all sort of practising on each other and he said, there's somebody here with a knot under his right shoulder blade. And you know what it's like when a word of knowledge is given. It's always the bloke next to you that needs it. So I want to encourage you in this, that when people stand up here and have been praying and the Lord gives them a word and it's something that's in your life, respond to it. You need to respond to it because God is pinpointing that so he can bring release for you. And but I didn't, and so they said, oh, well, he prayed again. He says, no, there's definitely somebody here with a knot behind his right shoulder blade. So I thought, well, I better own up to this. So I owned up to it. And as I owned up to that, and they started praying, and this young guy was praying for me, and he was getting, I'm not a real good person to pray for. 
it does you know it seems to take a bit to get through the the exterior and he was praying and nothing was happening and nothing was happening and the lady that was overseeing it all said oh, i think this is a bit hard i better pray for, better pray for him and she started to pray and she looked at me and she said you know there's something you need to confess and i'm sitting there and I knew exactly what she was talking about, and it was this bitterness towards my father. So I just started saying it in my thoughts. And she said, out loud, please. And at that point, I was starting to feel very vulnerable, very open, that I just had my whole life opened up. Somebody knows what I'm thinking. Somebody knows what's going on here. And that was a, a new era for me. It was something completely outside of my understanding and she started and as and she, as I started to speak I can remember saying Lord forgive and I can't remember any saying any other word and at that precise moment the top of my head opened up like a big funnel the Lord started pouring his love into me and I was 37 I think at the time so there was 37 years of God's love was poured down into my being. All of a sudden, my whole being, I became, and I'm just explaining this exactly how I felt it, I became 40 foot deep. For those in um, modern age, it's 18 metres. <coughs> um, and I felt this love coming up in me, and it was I could feel it filling me up. I could feel it filtering down through my whole being, and I could feel it filling me up and filling me up. And I was sharing this with somebody and they said, well, what did that feel like? And I said, it feels exactly the same feeling I had when I cuddled Wendy, but it was unadulterated. It was pure. It came up through me, up until I filled right up, and then it burst out the top like a fountain. And the next moment I remember grabbing the lady that was praying for me and giving a gigantic bear hug. And that incident changed the rest of my life. It's why I'm standing here today. I've had people here say to me that, you know, we, we've shown them so much love. And that is because of that moment in my life. And I want to share that with many, you know, with all of you. And uh, later on, we will, um, we'll, we'll, I want to pray that that can be released. But now I just want to look at a few other things. We are... To walk with Jesus. Our life is to walk with him. And in the prayer time before the service, we were talking about this. And, and you know, Jesus taking our hands. Again, another vision the Lord gave me. That he told me that we're going into a new era. We have a new... The church is in a new era. Um, if you go back through church history... You'll look that up until the Reformation, which was around the 15th, 16th century, I think it was, the church symbol at the front of the church was a crucifix. And if you understand what the crucifix means, it means Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. He died for our sins, but in a sense the church had got stuck at that point. Then the Reformation came along and the symbol at the front of the church is an open cross. 
Because they said, no, it is repentance, but it's also Jesus has risen. He's now off the cross. And the vision that the Lord gave me was that we're actually past the cross now. It's Jesus himself that is standing at the front of the church. It's Jesus himself. He's saying there, come to me. And that's why we've seen a great change in worship over the last 20 years, 30 years. There's been this change and, and there's more churches now like this around the country. There are more churches that have this freedom and they want to know Jesus. They want to come into a personal relationship with Jesus. And as Todd White said, it's about a relationship, not a religion. So as we go forward, it's not about coming and doing a religious structure. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about seeking him and saying, Lord, what is it you do next? What is it we do each day? You know, I'm a farmer. I, and when I, be, you know, God touched my life, I was ready, that's it, I'm out of the farm, I'm going preaching. And God says, no, you're not. And I thought, why, Lord? I thought, you know, when you have these revelations like this, you become a preacher. He says, no, you are to be a farmer. And stay farming. And even to this day, he won't let me give up the farming. We've now, um, we're doing a, a, a set free, we call it set free, which was developed by the Vineyard Church at Northridge in Sydney. We've taken it over home and now we now run a retreat on our farm and we do that four times a year. Might even get more because people are starting to come out of the woodwork all over the place, coming to our farm. And so God is saying, even that farm, you know, that you saw the pictures, it is for the glory of him. There's two things. We produce food for the people, but we also have a place. Our farm name is Lullarook. And Lullarook is an Indian princess's name, but it means a place of, or something of beauty, a place of beauty. We live in the area of Wedgie Carrop. See if you can get your, your tongue around that one. Wedgie Carrop is an Aboriginal word, and it's the feeding ground of the emus. And the Lord told me, you are to stay there and you are to feed my people. So God is calling us to relationship with him. We come to the Father through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. God uplifts us, brings us into that place. And as I was praying about this and God was taking us, you know, onto this journey of saying he is now at the, the head of the church. Jesus is the one that we are to worship. Don't worry about the cross. It's nice to have a cross there to remind us, but it's about Jesus and about the Father. And I have a, my father is... Um, 96 and my mother is 94 and my dad when he was younger was very much into you know wanted to evangelize and we had a sign at the beginning at the entrance of our farm and it had written on it the owner Jesus our saviour manager Ian and Vic and Ian McDougall and I remember saying to him one day I said dad 
I need to change that sign. I want to make that Jesus our Lord. And he had quite an argument with me about it. He says, no, no, he's Jesus our Saviour. And I started to look at this. And I remember the Lord and I was saying, God, you know, what does this mean? And the Lord gave me a picture of a big pool of quicksand. And there are these people all in this quicksand, drowning in the, disappearing in the quicksand. Some were struggling to get out of the quicksand and they were going deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And Jesus was the only one who knew the path through the quicksand. And Jesus was walking through that quicksand and he was reaching out and he said, come, follow me. And he was lifting people out of the quicksand and putting them onto the path behind them. And he said, now follow me. But sadly, some of them were sitting on the, on the path with their feet still in the quicksand, saying, Jesus has saved me. Jesus has saved me. And meanwhile, Jesus has walked off. And what I want to do is I want to warn you in that. Where are you in that picture? Are you still sitting there um, rejoicing in what Jesus has done or are you following him? Because Jesus said, come and follow me. Salvation is not complete until we stand before the Father. We are to work out our salvation. And that's not doing good works. It's about coming and following Jesus. And because we follow Jesus, we do the good works. But first of all, we need to follow Jesus. Because if we do it without following Jesus, it becomes a religion. And Jesus does not like religion. One of his biggest missions on earth was to confront the religious spirit. When Jesus walked this earth, he always antagonized, antagonized the religious spirit within the Pharisees. In fact, it killed him the first time, but he didn't, you know, they only killed the body. So we are people. We're not animals, as some of our society at this point of time try to make out we are. We're not angels, as also some people. I've heard people say, oh, you know, when we die, we're an angel. We're not angels. We're actually the go-between, between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. We are the ones that set us that place that God has given us a special place in, on the earth to bring his presence to the earth, but also to bring the physical side up to understand who God is. And we live in a time when we really know, need to know who we are in God. You know, the things that's happening in our society at the moment is a bit scary a lot of people say, oh, it's, you know, it just doesn't matter. And I, you know, Kurt was saying, you're going to have a prayer meeting, prayer meetings to pray for, you know, what is happening in our government realms at the moment. But we need to be on top of that. We need to say, Lord, guide us, guide the people of this nation. We need to walk with Jesus on this. Sadly, the world out there at the moment think we're only, 
smart animals. And I've got animals that have got more morals than what some of our society's got at the moment. And we need that really, that connection with God. We really need to be there and saying, Lord, guide our footsteps, guide our thoughts, guide our words, guide where we go. So let us just remember that God has drawn us, just like my life. You know, God put a brand on me. He's drawn me up and drawn me through. And God wants us all to respond to him, to seek his face. And, you know, we say these words, seek his face. What does that mean? It means getting down and praying and saying, Lord, what do I do in this situation? How do I do it? You know, I ask the Lord, what crops do I plant? Whether we should do that, whether we shouldn't do this. You know, the Lord blessed us greatly a few months ago because... We had this abundance of feed in a paddock that we needed to burn and we thought, well, that's a waste. And I was praying and God said, buy some sheep. And I thought, now I've got to get that past my son that works with me on the farm. And he rang me up and said, Dad, I think we need to go and buy some sheep. <laughs> and the Lord blessed us greatly through that, that exercise. So God is taking us out of the physical realm into the spiritual realm, but we still live. You know, it says in the Bible, we are... We're no longer of this world, but we still live in the world. We are now kingdom people. We live in the kingdom of God. And we're now stepping forward into a new creation. And a part of that is responding to what God is saying in our lives. What God is doing. And it was interesting that when Kurt was over home, he said, I'd like you to share at Pine Rivers. And right there and then, the Lord spoke to me and gave me two things. One was the seed of wheat. You didn't realise that. Actually, when you said to me, you, you to share, those were the two things that he said. And the other was that I needed to pray for the people. Now, over the last couple of months, I've had a couple of incidents where people have come to me or sat next to me and said they've had a headache. And I've just spoken, headache be gone, and it's disappeared. And the Lord has told me this morning that I need to do that for you. So is anybody in here that has a headache? Right. And uh, when I was praying about that, I saw a picture. There was somebody over here, somebody there and somebody there in the, in the, in the people. So what I want to do, I just want to say in the name of Jesus, headaches, be gone. Now. Be gone. Oh. So how's everybody else? They still anybody else's headache gone yet? Or are they still there? Put your hand up if it's still there. Right, in the name of Jesus, we just command this headache now to go in Jesus' name. Be gone. Be gone in Jesus' name. Father God, we just ask you, Lord, you, you gave us this command to speak into the physical realm to bring your healing. So, Lord, we just pray now, headache, be gone, in Jesus' name. And over here, headache, be gone, in Jesus' name.
Okay, just while we're praying and before we bless you to go, just this is just a, a testimony here of of what God has done when Ian spoke to a headache. Um, I've had a headache for about probably eight to six, six to eight weeks, and um, and it radiates down my neck and into my shoulder, and it's just completely gone. Completely gone. Thank you, Jesus. You heal. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, we ask for that now for every person that needs healing.